Joshua 5, verse 10. Last time we saw the memorialization of the crossing of the Jordan and all its implications. Today we're going to see the breaking down of the walls of Jericho and what that represents. So starting with verse 10. It says, So the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Now the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. So you see, they're going from manna to produce. Once they could live off the land, God stopped the miracle food. Psalm tells us that manna was the food of angels. In the Hebrew, manna meant literally, uh, what is it? Was, that was the name of the food. They, they didn't really know what it was. It was sort of like a thing that they could you know, grind together and, and make food out of, a, a basic rudimentary staple. But there's a spiritual connotation here. Paul talks about going from milk to meat of the word. Go from milk of the word, the basic things of understanding, of salvation, of God's love for us, and then we move on to meat of the word. We get into, as we grow in our walk, we get into deeper things of God. Uh, he wants us to go deeper. So milk or manna was not supposed to last forever. And again, there comes in a, a, a point in time in our Christian walk where we're supposed to grow as Christians, not to stagnate in the basic things of faith. Now, that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the basic things of faith. That's our foundation. But just like a, a, a waterway can provide fresh water for you to survive, you need to be hydrated. If you take that water and block it off so it just sits there, eventually it's going to attract bacteria and a lot of things and it's going to stagnate. So we want to take the, the basic things that we've learned to hold them dear in our heart and also to move forward. God wants us to be sanctified, to continue to be set apart, and he also wants us to be edified in his word and in his spirit. Verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. So in verse 13 you see what appeared to be a man to Joshua. As a matter of fact, in my Bible it has man, the M is capitalized, indicating obviously he was more than a man. But Joshua sees this guy, and he, you know, he, to him the appearance is of a man. But what it's believed to be here, and we're going to go a little bit deeper into this, is in theological terms, it's called a Christophany, which just means that it's a, a pre-New Testament appearing of Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that Jesus, uh, Micah 5.2, says that, that the, the Messiah, the Christ, was to be from everlasting, from eternity. He always existed. But another example uh, with Christophanes is in Daniel chapter 3, it says that uh, Mash, uh, 
Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, Daniel's you know, compatriots there, uh, were thrown into the fiery furnace. And assuming that, or probably hoping that they were dead, they looked into the furnace, right, Nebuchadnezzar's men, and they said, but I see three of them. They're unbound at this point. They're walking around, and one is in there with them like the Son of God. So there was a, a miracle that happened there, and that's, that's also believed to be a Christophany. And also possibly in Genesis 18, the three visitors that come to Abraham. Uh, there's another possible picture of a Christophany. So Joshua asked him a question. He says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And in verse 14, his response is basically, as commander of the Lord's army, he goes, and again, in his mind, he's probably saying, I'm not answering that question. He didn't answer Joshua's question. He said no. Uh, so instead, he gives his agenda. And I said this before. To me, this is a picture of trying to, in a sense, compartmentalize God, almost putting God in a box. We trap God into making him answer a handful, a handful selection of choices that we have for him. Lord, I need you to do this or I need you to do this. Okay, so which one, Lord, are you going to do? And oftentimes he says, no, <laughs> neither. You're not going you know, to make my decisions for, for me. I will make the decisions for you. So this is what this man does. So Joshua gets a reality check when he realizes who this is. And then he receives encouragement. The encouragement in the form of God is going to be with you in this undertaking. And as soon as Joshua realizes that this was more than a man, he falls down to worship him. Now, this is why we believe that uh, this is possibly a Christophany, because we know that in the scripture, angels don't receive worship. Men don't receive worship. Obviously, men certainly don't receive worship. And Joshua, if this was a man, had full right to press this man to say, well, who are you with your drawn sword? Are you with us or are you with our adversaries? So he realizes it's not a man because he would have dealt with this guy. Uh, it's not an angel. Why? In Revelation 19, when the angel is speaking to the apostle John, he says to him, the, the apocalypsis, the unveiling of the Christ, right, in Revelation. John gets so excited, read, read 19, John gets so excited that he falls down at the feet of the angel to worship him. And the angel goes, see that you do not do that. Get up. I am a servant like you are. So angels do not receive worship in the scripture. The only one who tried that little uh, maneuver was Satan, and look what happened to him. So uh, it's, it's, not, it's not supposed to be. So we're going to go into verse, or chapter 6, starting with verse 1. It says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. I could just picture Joshua, if that was me, okay, the walls, we're going to talk a little bit more about the walls, how great they were, the city that was shut up. Nobody's coming in. You know, nobody's going out. And God says, look, I delivered it into your hands. And I'd be like, are you seeing what I'm seeing here? This is pretty formidable. You know, what's going on, Lord? Again, we spoke about how secure this place was. A little, a few stats about the city, because there still are ruins today of Jericho. And I, I did some research on it. The city was about seven acres. That's not very big. So it was enough that you could cer certainly secure that city. It was small enough that you could do it. The walls had an inner and outer walls. The inner walls were six feet thick. Thick. Okay? The outer walls were 12 feet thick. And the homes 
were built spanning the inner and outer wall. That's how impressive these walls were. It was so impressive that there was a corridor in between and spanning to, to give uh, more support. John, being in the construction field, would know this. The, the home spanning the walls would actually give it more security. So both of the walls were 30 feet high with a 15-foot separation between them. And again, there's many pictures and maps. Uh, there's a, a site that was ex- excavated, the old Jericho, where you could actually see it today. So, again, I could picture Joshua looking at those walls going, Lord, what do you mean? (laughs) Are you seeing what I'm seeing here? So the question is, do we often see things the way God sees them? And the answer is no, because we see the problems as humans. We see obstacles in our lives. We see problems, and God sees the solutions, right? That's the, the big difference between us and him. He sees the end results. Verse 3. It says, you shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. Then it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, every man straight before him. So, again, (laughs) and I think we could insert all of ourselves into the situation and and think, okay, Lord, you're with me. All right, this is what I think we should do. This is what I'm seeing. You know, and the Lord is saying something different than you're seeing and saying. What's wrong with, I mean, I I could see me or or maybe uh, Joshua saying, well, why don't we surround the walls of Jericho? Why don't we burn the walls? Because that's what people do to take the walls down. They burn them. Whatever's flammable will burn. The rest of it becomes brittle, and they come down easier. And that's what they did in those times. And then let's breach the wall in a certain spot, right? Or, Lord, we could use a siege ramp, maybe a battering ram, or a host of other weapons. And the Lord says, no, how about walking around the wall? You know, I could just picture him going, what? That doesn't seem to make sense. But the answer is that God's ways are higher than our ways. They don't seem to make sense right away. And, you know, I think the maturity in being a Christian is not, when you mature as a Christian, it's not that you outguess God, but what you do is you rest in his plans. That's the difference in maturity. You, you still sometimes have no idea where he's taking you, what he's doing in these situations, but you just rest and know, I trust him in this. And there's times that I do that. I throw my hands up and go, I don't get it, Lord, but I'm going to trust you because you've never steered me wrong before. Um, the number seven in Scripture, there's a lot of sevens here. The word, the number seven in, in uh, Hebrew is Shabbat. Now, that word Shabbat comes from the root word Shabbat. Okay? Shabbat, Shabbat. Seven actually comes from the root word Shabbat, meaning completion. So that's where we get that that number that God uses a lot in Scripture, seven, because it's his number for completion. Uh, It it represents completeness and perfection. And really, if you go back to Genesis, that's where it all started. In six six days, he did what he needed to do, and on the seventh day, he rested. On the seventh day, it was Shabbat. It was complete. It was perfect. Nothing needed to be added to it. Verse 6, So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, 
Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So Joshua was, was obedient. One of my favorite scriptures is 1 Samuel 15:22 through 23 where, among many other things, the Lord says, I desire obedience over sacrifice. So many of us try to sacrifice, to to do good works, to make up after we mess up, right? But the Lord says, look, I desire obedience first, because when you're obedient to the Lord, it's a good thing. It's a good precedent, and it takes care of all the other stuff that goes afterwards, right? Instead of messing up and trying to fix it, I desire obedience over sacrifice, So two sets of instructions were given, one for the priests and one for the people. He instructs the priests first, and that's a good place to start because the most important priority is to start with those who represent God. Uh, Instruction should start with leadership, and leadership should lead by example. Unfortunately, uh, you know, in the age of of, uh, satellite news and, and Internet and stuff, you see a lot of a lot of Christian organizations, pastors, this and that, fallen into sin left and right, uh, and, and it's heartbreaking. And the leadership is not at the top. You see that the lay people are, are, are listening and, and hearing the word and praying, and their leadership, you don't know what they're doing. So we really should be leading by example. And also, these people were given instructions, okay? Joshua accepts what God says in faith, and then he disseminates the information to everybody who needs to understand what the plan is. So they had to have trust for Joshua. We saw in the last time we were here that the people, they, they, you know, Moses had his time, and now it was Joshua's time, and the people rallied around Joshua. So now they had to accept what Joshua was saying, that it did actually come from the Lord. And they had to trust him as their leader. And maybe... You know, what was the purpose for all the marching and the, and, and the circling around the city and all that other kind of stuff? I'm sure that the uh, people from Jericho were looking at that and kind of scratching their head and going, what are they doing? <laughs> Where's the battering rams? You know, what, what are these guys up to? But I think that it was, and again, it's just an opinion. It could have been the whole marching thing was a, a possibility, a test of their obedience, their patience, and their trust. How would you feel? You know, how would you feel if this was you, if this was your instructions? Maybe, hey, this isn't going to work. So you had to trust your leadership. You had to really trust your leadership to take this hook, line, and sinker and and run with it, right? Verse 8. It says, So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you all shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. See, there was details given regarding this undertaking. Now, that's an interesting point because uh, there's very specific details. Remember in the Old Testament, in the law, uh, when God talked about making the the tabernacle, 
you know, the Ark of the Covenant and the curtains that separated the Holy of Holies from the, from the holy place. And he, he spoke about the panels that were put up and the, the gold that overlaid and the designs that were, I mean, it was very elaborate. People have actually taken the, uh, the scripture, the Torah, and actually made models of what the temple would have looked like. Okay, And it's pretty impressive. But God was very specific, specific about what type of wood to use, what type of stone to use, what type of uh, precious metal to use. He, he gave lengths, how many cubits they were, all this kind of stuff, because the Bible tells us that what we made here, what God asked the people to make to, for him, his Shekinah glory to be there and for them to worship him, it was a model of those things in heaven. So God doesn't do anything willy-nilly. You know, people... If, if you think that, uh, well, I've been praying about this and the Lord is asking you to do something that's chaotic, most likely the Lord's not asking you to do that because God is detailed in his instructions and he's, he has a purpose for the things he does. He didn't just tell the people, well, just go out there, run around, you know, go back and forth, make some noise and the walls will come down. He didn't do that. He gave them details. Verse 12. And then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. Again, I wonder what the mood was after the sixth day on both sides. You know, maybe those, <laughs> the people, because, you know, those walls were thick walls. And just like the Babylonian walls, uh, you know, they, they're still ruins of the Babylonian walls. And they measured the, the, the breadth of it. And they said that in, in those days, three rows of chariots could be side by side on top of the ledge of the walls. That's how huge they were. So these walls had a lot of purposes. Within the walls, they would have like the municipal center. They'd have, it would be the city gates. People will be doing business. You'd have, the, the, in a sense, the municipal leaders there uh, waiting to greet people, coming and going. Uh, the walls were also, they would have an elaborate ladder system so people could go up it and be on top of the wall. So if there was a siege, they could pour things on the people and their archers could be up there. So th these walls had incredible purposes. Uh, every major city had to have walls because of marauders. So... Again, the people from Jericho, no doubt, were on top of those walls just looking down, probably wondering, what the heck are these people doing? You know, we know this place is, 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 is shut up real tight. There's no breach. It's the sixth day. What, I don't see any, any weapons of warfare. What the heck are they doing? And probably some of the people marching around say, were saying, it's the sixth day. What the heck are we doing? You know? So it's so cool how... It just was a testament to God because when those walls came down, it showed the people from Jericho... And it showed the people from the outside the greatness of God. So verse 15, it says, But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it was so, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Joshua believed in God's vision for him. Uh, I didn't get to sit here and, and study the Greek grammatical and, and how it, it or, I'm sorry, the Hebrew grammar, but it does come out the way the translators translate it, it, it. There's emphasis. There's an exclamation point. There's an emphatic uh, call to these people. It's a command. Uh, it, it appears that it was done with great excitement. So Joshua was emphatic. 
And I think the, the lesson here is because God gives us vision for our ministry, whoever we are. He gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us commissions. He doesn't call us and set us apart out of the world for us to do nothing, to be couch potato Christians. God has a vision and, and a, a seal on all of our lives. But I think the lesson here is that we should be as excited for our vision and what God has given us as Joshua was, no matter how it may look to others. No doubt, again, before all this happened, it may have looked bizarre, it may have seemed bizarre, the instructions, all that kind of stuff, but Joshua said before it happened, the Lord has given it into your hands. Just like God said to him in the beginning, see, I have been given the city into your hands before it actually happened. So Joshua, it was cool, emulated the Lord in that to the people. So there's a few sets of instructions given regarding this as if it's a done deal. Verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live, because she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. So he remembers the promise he made to Rahab and the family. Remember, they said that to Rahab, you know, something like your blood for our blood, your life for our life, if they... If, you know, they, they were going to hold themselves accountable to make sure that when the people went in, they would spare Rahab and their family. So keeping promises. I want to read something in Ecclesiastes 5. I wasn't sure if I was going to read it, but you know, I'm going to read it because it's really, uh, really a great portion of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 5, starting with verse 1. And actually, in some of the other thought-for-thought thought translations, it comes out a little easier to understand. But it says this. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God, and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words there is vanity, but fear God. When I did the study on Ecclesiastes, uh, you know, it, it's just that portion of Scripture where it says, number one, there's a lot of things in here, but whether it's to other people or to God, don't be hasty with your mouth. Uh, was it Proverbs says, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. You know, uh, sometimes a fool is known by his many words. But he's saying here that when you make a promise, whether it's to God or to people, keep the promise. Be a person of your word. Or don't make the promise at all. I was talking to a brother recently, and uh, it's funny. Before I was a Christian, you know, if I was in a bad situation, I would make all kinds of promises to God. If you get me out of this one, <laughs> and I've said it before, I promise I'll do this. And, you know, thank God God spared me because I was a fool with my mouth. I made a lot of promises to him, and a lot of them I didn't keep. And as a Christian, I actually find that I promise people less. I'm not quick to make a promise because I want to make sure I, I can keep that promise. We want to be reliable people. So I was telling that brother, I said, listen, I rarely make promises, vows to God or people because I don't want to be seen as unreliable. It doesn't mean I don't, but it's very rare because I want to make sure I can keep those promises. 
So anyway, promises kept in terms of Rahab and the family, and that was a big promise because the, the walls were going to come down and they were going to start slaying people, and everybody had to be instructed, <laughs> these people who have the scarlet cord hanging out of their window, don't touch them. <laughs> don't touch them. Verse 18. It says, And you, by all means, keep yourselves from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take off the accursed things and make the camp of, of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. The victory is the Lord's. He alone is deserving of the loot, not any of the individual soldiers or priests or civilians. The Lord is deserving of everything that's, that's uh, all the spoils there. This is a picture of giving God the glory, the honor, and the spoils of all the victories in our lives. Never steal God's glory. The accursed things. The spoils inside the city were considered the accursed things. In the sense that God was their reward. In the sense that everything that they possibly would have needed could come from God. So they didn't need those, the stuff in the city, and God said to stay away from it. Or it's a possibility that the spoils were a picture of, a picture of the world or sin. You know, don't get yourself wrapped up in those spoils. Christian, keep yourself from being defiled from the world, against worldliness. I remember a time, um, just like, again, <laughs> what you think you should get, you, sh you know, you shouldn't get. Um, Achan, unfortunately, as we go further, everybody, uh, many of you are familiar with Achan. They were told not to take the loot, and Achan went in and took it, and he hid it, and he brought great dishonor on the Lord, and they started losing their battles because of Achan's sin. And then eventually Achan was found out and he was dealt with. But I, I also remember um, many years back, I don't think I was a Christian at the time, but it, it has a good outcome. It's going to start out, just let me finish where I'm going here. Me and another officer went to a call about, it was a 911 call, and uh, we ended up, uh, the, the, the door was open, it was a known drug dealer, and there was cash everywhere, all over the house. And he actually fled out the back door. But uh, my partner said to me, and he was newer on the job than I was, and he said, you go in there and secure the house. I'll go check with the neighbors. I said, uh-uh. <laughs> Wherever we go, we're going as a pair. And number one, it, it guards against temptation, you know, and sure there's a little voice that would say, hey, he's just a drug dealer. You know, there's cash there. Of course I didn't take it, but <laughs> just to make sure, make sure that's clear in the story here. <laughs> I'll have an internal uh, investigation on me here, but... Uh, the other thing is accountability. Always grab a friend for accountability. You know, the accursed things, the worldliness, the, the temptations to stumble, to sin. Grab yourself a friend or, or a partner or another Christian for accountability to keep yourself from the accursed things. I think it's just good sense. And very interesting, too, when I was studying Jericho, check this out. When they excavated the site at Jericho, right, what they found was stores of loot. Food, a lot of food, right? Things that they had stored up in Jericho. Because whenever they were to be sieged by an invading army, a lot of these cities would store up grain and, and uh, you know, livestock and stuff so that they would have something to eat, you know, cisterns filled with water. But what they found when they excavated was they found whole stores of food. And they could tell it was food. I guess it didn't completely burn it. And they, they, these huge storehouses filled, filled with burnt food. So what was really cool was even today in our century excavating, we see that the children of Israel listened 
They didn't go and they didn't take the food and they didn't take the things they shouldn't have taken. They left it there and it ended up burning with the city. So in that instance, the children of Israel listened. Unfortunately, as we go further, we find out that that started to slip away, that obedience to God. Verse 20. It says, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. So imagine now the expressions of the people of Jericho when their trusted walls came down. Six feet thick, you know, 15 feet apart, 30 feet high. They're never going to get in. They don't have any equipment. Boom. They have a shout and everything just collapses. If I was one of them, I'd be stunned. You'd be mortified. You'd have your mouth open. What could you say? What could you do? They probably didn't even move, you know. So this is what happened. This is uh, the utter destruction of the city. Again, I believe it's a picture of rooting out sin and the world from our lives. Now, when we read this, and again, uh, when, I became, when I was a new Christian, I started reading, and when I read the Old Testament, I saw stuff like this, and I was like, oh, that's awful. Again, his ways are higher than our ways. Sometimes we tend to think of what happened in our terms. Oh, that, that's a terrible thing. Well, here's a few stats for you. Number one, literally, the Canaanites had 400 years to repent. 400 years. They had plenty of time many generations to repent of their wickedness. Their wickedness was, was, was brutal. And if Rahab did it and her family, remember, my, my reading of the text is she had her home, she had the scarlet cord, as many people that could fit in that house with that scarlet cord and trust in the God of Israel, they were going to be saved. So, you know, they all could have put scarlet cords on their houses if they really wanted to believe and trust in the God of Israel. So they, they had opportunities. Rahab was, was a living opportunity there. The other thing is wickedness. And they've done excavations and they found, I mean, this stuff is brutal. In some of the excavations, uh, not necessarily in, in Jericho, but uh, we, in, in the Canaanite areas, they found like these little uh, clay jars and they would open them up and they found like infant's bones, child's bones. And it had to do with the sacrifices and they would actually keep the bones of their children that they murdered. And it was so prevalent, they had, there were so many of these, that uh, it was really a sick practice that these people had. They were really sick, okay? Um, there was no prosecution for murder, rape, child abuse, child sacrifice. It was just part of their society. And God didn't want, another reason for this, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this to, uh, not that I have to defend God and make him look good, but there's reasons for why this happened. Uh, God didn't want these people to affect his, the children of Israel. And by reading Joshua 2, or I'm sorry, Judges 2, excuse me, you see that that actually did happen. It actually says that because of this wickedness and because of their influence, it affected the children of Israel. And that's what God was trying to prevent. And because they didn't listen and wiped them all out, the children of Israel started doing this, this sick, these sick practices. Right? I think Christians have become soft on the doctrine of hell and eternal punishment, sin, blood, the cross, and even church discipline. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Proverbs 27.6. I also think Christianity has gone soft on ruthlessly rooting out your own personal sin, which I think this, this, this passage is a picture of. Um, 
we, we listen to so much psychobabble in today's society about it's not your fault, it's your environment, it's your upbringing, it's your crummy spouse, it's your rotten kids. You know, there's always, oh, you don't have enough money. There's always a reason why we can say, oh, poor me. And the shame of it is, the sad thing of it is that this is spread through Christianity. We're starting to buy into this crazy stuff. It's wrong. We have to get ruthless with our sin. That's the word I take from, uh, I, I stole from Pastor Luis. He likes to use that word ruthless, and he bangs the pulpit when he says it. So it, it's, it's pretty cool. Ruthlessness. Verse 22. It says, But Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. <laughs> Remember what saved her. It was that scarlet cord that they told her. They said, listen, they told her clearly, if, you, if that scarlet cord isn't hanging from your window, you can't hold us responsible. You better make sure that scarlet cord is hanging out that window. And, and she did. And what does that scarlet cord represent? It represents the, the, the blood of the lamb and the Passover. And it, it it represents the ultimate blood of the Lamb, the blood of Christ. Because of the blood of Christ, uh, judgment passes over us, right? The interesting thing, too, is, and I just got this today, after all the years of studying the Bible, when, I, when we talk about the doctrine of the rapture, you know, the Revelation, Jesus says that the hour of, of trial and tribulation will come upon the whole world except for us, the believers. And there's so many scriptures that talk about how we as believers will escape the, uh, the judgment to come in, in you know, the book of Revelation and all those, those judgments. We talk about types, Sodom and Gomorrah. The, the few righteous people that were in, in Sodom were removed before God destroyed the city. We talk about the flood. The few righteous people that were left were put in the ark and saved from the flood. The same thing here. The judgment came to that city is another picture of the rapture. Because Rahab believed the God of Israel, because she, she integrated into that society afterwards, she married Salmon, right? And uh, in her bloodline came Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So she integrated understanding and believing in the God of Israel. She was saved, right? So it's a picture of the rapture, I believe. Verse 24. I'm trying to make the Old Testament fun. I'm doing the best I can here. <laughs> Verse 24. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessel of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. What are we saved from? I think the, it's hell. It's damnation. Only because of the blood of Christ. I think the destruction of the city is a picture of that, uh, that destruction, that hell, that eternal judgment. Burn it completely, even the animals. Every, everything that was living was, was destroyed. Now, I wonder if Rahab, any, and, and again, maybe the day before the, the Israelites came and, and she thought, I don't know, I don't know what was going through Rahab's mind. You know, are they going to are they going to find me out for being treason? Uh, you know, what's going to happen? Are they going to keep their promises? I'll tell you what. At this point in time in history, if she had any doubts, I'm sure all those doubts were wiped away. Realizing and even had more strength. Remember, she's a new believer in a sense. Okay, and uh, this is this is helping to to build her faith. She she had the faith. She believed. 
she believed in the God of the Israelites, right? And now she's seeing the promises come to pass. There was a down payment, and now the fulfillment. You know, they come, they scoop her out. Her, her, it even says her belongings were taken out. Her family, uh, people who were in her house, her belongings, they were all taken out. They were spared, and the city was destroyed. So all those promises that were made to her came to pass. Verse 26. Then Joshua charged them at the time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city of Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gate. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout all the country. Interesting uh, prophecy, if you will, curse put on anybody who would try to rebuild Jericho. And it actually came to pass. There was a curse pronounced on anyone who would rebuild the city. And this is what you would lose, your, your children, if you tried to do this. First Kings 16.34, under Ahab's rule, there was a man named Heel, H-I-E-L. He started to rebuild Jericho and lost two of his sons because of it. So um, that actually was fulfilled uh, in 1 Kings 16.34. Now understand this. We're actually in Luke on, on Sundays. And I'm going to talk about Jericho, passing through Jericho, going into the city of Jericho. Now it seems like a contradiction, but understand this. There was three different Jericho sites. There was the original Jericho, which still hasn't been rebuilt, I don't believe, even up to this day. Uh, there was another Jericho, which was about a mile away, which is a separate Jericho, which was built by Herod the Great. He, he, a mile away, he made another Jericho site, but he didn't build it on that site. Okay? And also, in, in the Middle East today, there is a modern village of Jericho, which is a lot smaller. It's called Jericho. So literally, there's three different Jericho sites, and the original site remains in ruins. So, wrapping it up, the walls of Jericho are symbolic. To the children of Israel and to us, they each represent something. I believe, or I put the title down as Breaking Down Walls. To the children of Israel, the walls of Jericho, it was the first step in a long time that they had stood behind the Lord and allowed him to defeat their enemies. We saw what happened at, uh, uh, I believe it was, uh, was it Kadesh Barnea, the first time where they, they, they panicked and the, the ten came back and gave a negative report. And they said, no way we can take these guys. And they, they were you know, condemned to wander for 40 years. But now they finally, they, this is symbolic of them standing behind the Lord again and saying, you know what, Lord, we're gonna, <laughs> we saw what happened to them. We're going to give it a shot. We're going to trust you. To us, this can apply to any walls in our lives. It appears that anything that appears to be a formidable or an unpenetrable foe or obstacle, walls. Walls can either keep things out or they can keep things in. That's what walls do. In our homes, they can keep us safe from the elements, and they can keep us safe from, you know, criminals, right? Lock the doors at night. But in our hearts sometimes, they can keep us safe from hurt feelings or painful memory, memories or anything that we don't want to deal with. Think about what walls you have up today. Let's think about, I should do the same thing. What walls do we have up today? What are you trying to shield yourself from, Right? Is there something in your life that you can apply this object lesson to? You know, sometimes we, we have this thing, and I don't know, somebody, I don't know if it's a, a legitimate term or what, it's called a stuffing mechanism. You know, you, things you don't like, you, you don't want to deal with, and you just stuff it. You, you pr push it down into your heart, you, you put it in one of the compartments in, in your mind, and you just close the door. And every once in a while, that thing creeps out, doesn't it? Something will bring it up. 
So think about walls we have in our lives. On the other end of the spectrum is what walls are you having difficulty getting past in your life as obstacles? So you keep things in. Sometimes you can keep things out. What is it that you're having trouble hurdling, getting over, getting past? Could it be sin? Sometimes uh, we, we have the, a sin, a particular sin that, that we just can't get past. You know, it just keeps coming back. Lord, how do I get ruthless with it? How do I get rid of it? Unforgiveness, sometimes jealousy, a goal. Sometimes it could be a goal. Sometimes it could be a relationship issue. Just fill in the blank. There's a million things. And to each one of us, we all have something that, that Satan tries to kind of put his thumb on us and hold us down with, right? But regardless of what the world or what the word walls means to you today, there's only one way to make them come down. The only one way to make those walls come down for, for good is to employ the help of God in your life. Because God knows, and I know, that we can't do it in our own strength. Let's pray. With it. How do I get rid of it? 